0: Hello, this is your Fertility Pharmacist. This podcast is for women who are trying to overcome infertility. If you keep a pulse on late-breaking fertility research, it could positively alter the course of your fertility journey like it has for me. Hi, I'm Elise, your Fertility Pharmacist. Today's episode focuses on a subset of infertile women on whom less research has been dedicated, namely women who are obese and have regular ovulation. For the record, the vast majority of infertility research in obese females has focused on those who also have PCOS, a topic I covered last episode. The title of today's research article is Effects of Pulsatile IV FSH Treatment on Ovarian Function in Women with Obesity, which was published as a pre-proof two weeks ago in the journal Fertility and Sterility. Before getting into study details, here is a bit of backstory. Most evidence suggests that obese women will have a harder time conceiving. They often have lower levels of key hormones involved in conception, hormones like progesterone, luteinizing hormone, and follicle-stimulating hormone. In today's episode, we'll focus on that last hormone, which for short is called FSH. FSH is often given as an injectable medicine under the skin. As part of IVF protocols. And overweight women often take higher doses of FSH during IVF cycles because they don't tend to absorb this drug as well. And unfortunately, they tend to have worse IVF outcomes anyways compared to average weight women. Well, I mentioned that FSH is typically given under the skin during fertility treatments. In this study, women receive the FSH intravenously, otherwise known as IV, for two major reasons. First reason, giving FSH under the skin leads to inconsistent rates of absorption, and during IVF, getting the drug concentration and the timing right is critical. Second reason, recent research in mice showed that when FSH was rerouted, it enhanced the ovulation, and authors wanted to simulate something similar in humans. With that, I believe you have enough background to hear about the study itself, so let's get into it. The study took place at an academic center in Metro Denver between January 2016 and June 2021. The study recruited 54 women, 27 had a normal BMI, aka a body mass index between 18.5 to 24.9, and 27 women who had a BMI of 30 and greater, which is considered obese. As mentioned at the beginning, women couldn't have PCOS or any other hormonal disorders, and they couldn't have been on any type of hormones in the last three months prior to starting the study. Period cycles had to be normal, between 25 to 40 days, and most notably, all the participating women had a baseline intention to conceive. It makes sense to me that this study took five and a half years to enroll the intended number of women, besides COVID disruptions this study asked for a short but serious commitment from the women who participated. Yes, the women were compensated, but the paper doesn't say anything more about that. Here's why it was such a serious commitment. After having their blood work done to screen them into the study, the women were expected to be at the study site as of 1.30 p.m. on one of the early days in their menstrual cycles. From 1.30 onwards until 3 p.m. the next day, the women were subjected to a ton of poking and prodding. Here's a timeline of what happened. 1.30 p.m., the women had an indwelling catheter placed for the upcoming IV FSH injections. Plus, they also took a pregnancy test. At 2 p.m., blood samples of hormones were taken, and these blood samples continued to be drawn every 10 minutes for 10 hours. When those 10 hours were up around midnight, the women received three milligrams of a gonadotropin-releasing hormone antagonist, aka GnRH antagonist, called Cetrorelix, brand name Cetrotide. The women received the Cetrotide to antagonize or suppress the production of FSH that could occur naturally in the body. They were given the shot in the abdomen at midnight. So after this midnight abdominal shot, the women were allowed to sleep for six hours at the study site. Now, the study didn't survey the women on it, but I'd be shocked if even one of those women slept well. At 6 a.m., after six hours of purported rest, the women received a booster dose of cetratide, just a quarter milligram, to make sure that the internal FSH production was still shut down. Also resuming at 6 a.m. were the every 10-minute blood draws. And last but not least, the women were finally given those doses IV of recombinant FSH. They received 30 units of the IV FSH every hour for 10 hours. So by 3 p.m. on that second day, the women had received 300 international units of FSH. Shortly after 3 p.m., nothing else is noted. So hopefully the women were liberated from that demanding study. Now you've heard how the study was set up, and it's time for results. As mentioned earlier, the study had 27 women with normal BMI, and 27 women with a high BMI. Besides those differences in PMI, the women in the normal BMI group were 5 years younger on average, roughly 27, whereas the women in the high BMI group were roughly 32. Regarding the impact of the drugs administered to these women, results showed that in both normal and in high-weight women, the two abdominal shots of cetratide suppressed their hormones as intended. Thereafter, the hourly IV doses of FSH led to similar blood levels and pulse patterns of FSH in the two groups. Looking at FSH in terms of pharmacokinetics, otherwise known as the study of how the body processes the drug, they saw that both normal and high-weight women had no differences in the amount of FSH in their urine or how they cleared FSH from the bloodstream. However, looking at two other reproductive hormones, estradiol and inhibin B, they found that even though these hormones increased in response to that IVFSH, in the high BMI women, the hormone levels were still lower than in women of normal weight. In fact, for each increase in BMI, there was a proportional decrease in the estradiol and the inhibin B. Based on this mixed picture, the authors concluded that their IVFSH regimen Led to partial but incomplete compensation for differences that are at this point believed to be related to BMI. They wondered if the ovarian suppression seen in the obese women could be overcome even further if the IV FSH was given for longer times or for higher doses. They speculated on the future use of pumps to deliver FSH to women with the intent of improving ovarian function and fertility results and that is the gist of the study as it was written up. There are more details in the show notes, but to make best use of your time, I will aim for brevity. With that said, here are my thoughts. Critiques first. To pick the lowest hanging fruit, the women in the obese group were five years older, which could have impacted results. Also, an ideal study would have looked at egg retrieval outcomes or live births, but honestly, this wasn't the intent of the study. Moving past those... This pharmacist has two major criticisms with this study that involved drugs. First criticism, even though the authors specified the source of their central relics, they did not share the source or kind of recombinant FSH they used. This seemed like a glaring omission as there are different kinds of recombinant FSH. Did they use folistim? Did they use Gunnel F? Did they use something made at a compounding pharmacy? We don't know. I actually wrote to the corresponding author of the study about a week ago, asking for clarification, and I haven't heard back. In the same email, I also inquired about my second major gripe, which was the lack of discussion on another drug that had originally been given in their study, a different GNRH antagonist called Dagorelix, brand name Firmagon. Apparently, the study was started with this drug instead of Cetorelix, but due to adverse events... They stopped giving women degorelix and switched them over to cetorelix. I'm perplexed as to why a drug was given in a study and bad things happen, yet this whole part of the study was entirely omitted from the write-up. I only found out about this from digging on clinicaldrials.gov when I was curious to see what adverse events had happened, because the study didn't talk about them at all. If the corresponding author ever gets back to me, I will include addendums in the show notes. Moving past this omission and up to a forest-level view, the study gave a lot of food for thought. There are numerous obvious ways to tweak this study to figure out how to better help women with obesity to improve their fertility outcomes. The present study is not in any way practical to implement at this point into a typical fertility clinic, but the research shows how a well-known fertility drug can be used in a novel way that supports recent and promising research done in mice. Clearly, way more work is needed, but this is a fine start. And that's a wrap on this episode. Links and more are in the show notes, which can be found on www.yourfertilitypharmacist.com. This is Your Fertility Pharmacist. Thanks for tuning in.